the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. get closer to the return of Christ, there's going to be the, the love of many will grow cold and the increase of wickedness will abound. And so we're going to have to take our stand for what is right and for what is true. We're going to do it lovingly and we're going to have to, you know, stand firm for what we know to be right. We're going to have to present it not abrasively, but truthfully, honestly, and lovingly and, um, and let the chips fall where they may. But we're living in, in very, very troubling times. And people are going to have to decide, perhaps for the very first time, are they really going to live for Jesus or not? Because Jesus is a dividing force. Jesus is going to return, but we don't know when. No one does. So what do we do in the meantime? We may have to wait years or more, maybe decades. And the world is going to continue to divide over right and wrong, good and evil. Pastor Gary reminds you today to stand firm in your beliefs, especially as the world continues to turn from truth. Don't be swayed by temporary happiness or misleading charisma. Come back to the Bible again and again. Read the Word, pray diligently, and share the hope of salvation. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 7 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In John 20, Jesus has already died and been resurrected at this point. And he appears to his disciples. In John 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Now that says something about a glorified body. You can go right through walls. You were not restricted by material things because doors are locked and Jesus just walks right through the walls and appears before them, stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He showed them the marks of his crucifixion. Again, Jesus said there, verse 21, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now I ask you, maybe you've never thought about this, but when did the disciples, Jesus' disciples, actually become born-again believers? When did they actually become, the term that we use today, Christians, saved, born again? It's right here. It's at this moment. Because up to this point, they had not put their faith and trust in the risen Lord Jesus. They may have believed in him as the Messiah, as Peter even had professed back in Matthew 16, this great profession of the faith, that you are the Christ, 
the son of the living God. They may have understood that he's Messiah, but they did not understand and grasp the whole thing about the crucifixion and resurrection until he appears to them. And it's at this point here in John 20 that they believe in the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus then breathes on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is the indwelling of the Spirit. How do we know it's not the fullness and the baptism? How do we know there's something separate? Because now you can go to Acts chapter 1. When you look into Acts chapter 1, just a few pages over from John 20, go to Acts chapter 1 to the right. These are the final words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. In Acts 1 verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. These these are his disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism, you know, we think of water baptism, which is a baptism, but then there is a Baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the same word, baptizo, just means to overwhelm. So when you're water baptized, you're overwhelmed by water. When you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. But notice what Jesus says here. He says to his disciples, wait here in Jerusalem for the gift my father promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Jesus. Jesus, did you read John 20? Because you you already breathed on them back in John chapter 20, and they received the Holy Spirit back in John 20. Why do they need the Holy Spirit in Acts 1? They already got it in John 20. No, because what they received in John 20 was the indwelling upon salvation. When you get saved, you can't separate God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because it's one God. He is one. But there is a difference between the indwelling and the baptizing, the overwhelming that flood of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is in the present tense imperative in the Greek, which literally translates, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not just, well, I had one experience and one and done. It is a continual need for that infilling of God's presence and God's Spirit for empowering for the fruit of the Spirit, to be bold as His witnesses. And so there's this separate and distinct thing here. Jesus, from John 20, is saying here in Acts 1, there's, there's something else here related to the Holy Spirit. He says further in Acts 1, verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's future tense. Something's going to happen. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit falls upon them. And so then that's for a whole other Bible study. But, you know, this much to simply say, go back to John 7 now. Here Jesus, you know, he stands up here, this the last and greatest day of the feast, talks about living water. The living water he's referring to is the Spirit There's the Spirit that we receive, the Spirit of God upon salvation, the indwelling work. There's a separate work of the baptizing work. And so, by the way, just to plug my pastor's book, Pastor Chuck Smith, who went to be with the Lord, um, I think it's been two years now. But he wrote, one of the first books I, I read that he wrote was a book called Living Water. And this is about the Holy Spirit. Um, it is a, it's an easy read. It discusses the, 
the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It discusses the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have uh, a few copies in our cafe. You can uh, pick it up afterwards if, if you'd like. Tell them I sent you, and they'll give you full price. But, uh, but anyhow, but it's a great book. It's a great read. If you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I recommend Pastor Chuck's book on that regard. But let's keep going through the Gospel of John here, because as, as you can tell, I've already quoted from John 14 and 16. When we get further into John, get into Acts, we'll talk even more about the baptism of the Spirit. But that much to say that John explains for us, verse 39, back here in John 7, that by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, now notice the reaction of the crowd here, because this is so typical of really any crowd even today. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David, was, where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. So there you have people divided because of Jesus. I'm sure nothing you've ever encountered in your life. You know, wherever you work or in a family setting, you know, there's never any division about Jesus, right? Of course there is. He's still a polarizing figure today. You mention Jesus in a room full of people, you're going to get a room full of reaction. And by the way, you're either going to get revival or riot. Because there's no neutral middle ground, no demilitarized zone with Jesus. He, you mention that name. And people will either respond with repentance and they will be drawn to him and there's revival, or you'll make people mad. I mean, just ticked off mad. And Jesus, by the way, in Luke chapter 12, he says, I came not to bring peace, but division. He said, a member of a man's own household will be divided against himself. A father will be divided against the son, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He speaks about division. Because he knows that truth, because truth is exclusive, forget what our culture is saying today, that truth is relative and we can redefine things today and there are no absolutes. That's just a complete lie. There are absolutes. People who, who you know, are mathematicians, they understand there's absolutes. But when it comes to values, all of a sudden we don't have values, you know, absolutes anymore. So two plus two can be four. It's never six. But you start talking about moral issues, and now all of a sudden people want to make up their own rules. But that said, truth by definition is exclusive. And Jesus makes truth claims. He says things like he did to Pontius Pilate when he stood before Pilate before he was crucified. He said, everyone on the side of truth, this is John 18, we'll get to it later. John is a rich book, isn't it? Jesus says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He draws a line in the sand. He says, there's some truth and there are some things that are not true. And you're going to have to decide if you're going to be on the side of Jesus and believe and live according to what he defines, what God defines as right and wrong, or are left to your own anarchical mindset of just de de defining what you think is right or wrong on your own. It's, that's very dangerous. Any, any society and culture that begins to just allow people to define for themselves what is right and what is wrong, you have anarchy. And we're heading down this path here. Thomas Jefferson spoke about a day that he feared would become an oligarchy in our country. We're seeing that happening with, with the rule of a few. And he was concerned about the rule of the judiciary. 
And we have nine men and women in black robes who sit on the highest court, and they're deciding a lot of things now for our country. And things are becoming more like an oligarchy, the rule of a few, and judges in black robes. And now all of a sudden, those are going to be the, the defining factors for our nation. It's, it's troubling, irrespective of the way the culture goes, because we are to anticipate this, right? We get closer to the return of Christ. There's going to be the, the love of many will grow cold, and the increase of wickedness will abound. And so we're going to have to take our stand for what is right and for what is true, and we're going to do it lovingly, and we're going to have to you know, stand firm for what we know to be right, and we're going to have to present it not abrasively, but truthfully, honestly, and lovingly, and, um, and let the chips fall where they may. But we're living in in very, very troubling times, and people are going to have to decide, perhaps for the very first time, are they really going to live for Jesus or not? Because Jesus is a dividing force. He is a force of truth, and a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. And you start talking about truth, and you're going to be called narrow-minded and bigoted and all other kinds of things. So Jesus said it in advance. But look, look at the confusion here of the people. Some are like, well, he's the prophet, right? And they may have meant the prophet Elijah because a lot of them were thinking that Elijah was going to come again when, in fact, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. But I think to myself when I read that, you know, that's the way some people think of Jesus even today, that he was just a great prophet, even today. Listen, that's what Islam teaches, that Jesus was a great prophet. That He was inferior to Muhammad, by the way, but that he was just a great prophet, certainly not the son of God. So you have one camp even today who's teaching that. You have another group of people, just like what what the others say, well, he is the Christ, he's the Messiah. I believe he's the Messiah. You believe them as he's the Messiah? There's many people who believe that he's Messiah. Not everybody, of course. And still others are confused. And in the crowd there, they're like, well, you know, how could the Christ come from Galilee? Now, Galilee is a region, like we think of a county, like Loudoun County, And so Jesus was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. Nazareth is in the province of Galilee. But he wasn't, he wasn't born there. So they don't, they, they know something about Jesus, but they don't know everything about him. It's like, well, you know, he's from Nazareth, right? So he's a Galilean. So he can't be the Christ because And they say this accurately. Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem? The town where David is from. Yeah, David was born in Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is a town within a different province, a different county. Bethlehem is in the province of Judea. And so they're they're like, well, I thought the Christ was supposed to be from Bethlehem. So they don't know that he was born in Bethlehem. Otherwise, they would realize that he actually is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2. And so, you know, they're drawing these confusing conclusions about Jesus because they just don't know everything. How true is it today that some people draw erroneous conclusions about the identity of Jesus because they just don't know their facts? You have a lot of people talking about Jesus, all kinds of Jesus, all right? You have the Mormons who teach that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. You have Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is... The Archangel Michael. It's right on their website. You can go to the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Watchtower organization. You can see that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. There's people who are confused about the identity of Jesus. Jesus never said he was the Archangel Michael, and he certainly isn't the spirit brother of Lucifer. He's the son of God. He is God in flesh who came, condescended from heaven, comes to earth, takes on flesh, dies for our sins. He's the one and only. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We can't all be right, folks. 
Okay, so you have to decide whether various world religions and various concepts and definitions about who Jesus is is right or wrong. You have to know what Jesus says that he is and then get on the side of truth, which is the side of Jesus. And so people are confused in the crowd here. Now, you read on with me. It says, verse 45, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Because the, the religious leaders just wanted to arrest him. They wanted, they're still looking for some way to just, you know, do away with Jesus. So they, they send, they send the temple guards out. Maybe you guys can, you know, the, so there's a hit on Jesus' life. You know, the, the Pharisees are basically the mafia. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Verse, verse 46, no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. We didn't bring him back because this guy, he's kind of different from anybody else we, we've ever encountered. And they say, you mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees, now listen to what they say. Has any of the rulers, okay, the big shots or the Pharisees, the really religious guys believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Listen to the pride in all of that. It's like, you know, does any, they ask the temple guards, does anybody who is anybody in this town believe in Jesus? Answer, no. Only the sorry mob here. They don't know any better. So they're just, you know, these miserable bunch of uneducated people who, you know, are turning to him like some emotional crutch, but we're better than that. And so that's their answer there. No. Well, Nicodemus Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. There's just such confusion here. He's not from Galilee. He's from Judea. He was born in Bethlehem. Nicodemus asked this question. Remember, he's the guy back in John chapter 3 who went to Jesus at night, Nick at night. And, um, <laughs> and, and, he, and he asked, you know, you know, teacher, there's something different about you. And there's that whole dialogue about what, what does it mean to be born again, John chapter 3. So Nicodemus is really secretly a follower. He's going to appear on the scene again when Jesus is crucified. Nicodemus will go with Joseph of Arimathea, another one from the Jewish Sanhedrin, and they will go and get the body of Jesus and bury it. So Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, I think we'll see him in heaven. I think that they're believers. It speaks of Joseph of Arimathea particularly being a disciple of Jesus, though secretly, it says, for fear of the Jews. But Nicodemus poses this question. He's trying to give some reason here. Cooler heads will prevail. He's like, you know, what are we doing here? We're rushing to judgment. Shouldn't we at least investigate this? And their answer is, you know what, you have your information wrong on this guy because they think he's from Galilee. He's, he's really from Judea originally. Into chapter 8, I want to share, you know, we've got still a good bit of time here, and, and so I want to definitely at least get through this next story. And before we talk about this next story here from uh, John 8, verse 1 through verse 11, some of your Bibles have this little um, inserted comment here between the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, and mine reads this. It says, the earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7.53 through 8.11. If you have a King James Bible, you don't see that. It just reads on, and it should. 
I'm not going to bore you with the details, but I just want to basically quickly address it. Here's why that little note is in, is in some of your Bibles. There's a disagreement between, it boils down to this, there's a disagreement between antiquity and quantity. By that I mean that there are some ancient manuscripts. First of all, we don't have any of the original manuscripts, okay? We don't have Paul's original signed letters to the Ephesians. You know, we don't have John's original signed autograph. Can you imagine what that would be worth? But we have copies of copies. And the copies were carefully transcribed because your ancient languages had a numeric value to each letter. And the ancient scribes, after they copied, would add up the number. Each letter had a numeric value. They would add up the math. And if the math did not equate to the original, they would destroy the entire scroll and start over. So there's a very meticulous way to transcribe to make sure that there were no errors because the math was used as well as as the eye to calculate and to, to transcribe everything. The NIV, which is what I'm reading from, okay, the NIV translation was uh, derived from three ancient texts that were uh, that were from around the fourth century, including the, something. And again, this is kind of boring for many of you, but the Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Sinaiticus. That's the NIV um, opts for the older manuscripts from the fourth century. The King James Bible is really from six ancient manuscripts plus actually about 5,000 other portions from the 10th century, not as old as what the NIV goes back to to, uh, look and observe. And in some of the ancient texts, this next story is not in it. In the 10th century texts, this story is. So then it's a question of antiquity or quantity because you have more more manuscripts that that are more recent that have it. You have fewer manuscripts that are older that don't. But then there are all other kinds of statistics, like about 450 Greek manuscripts do have this section. So there's all kinds of debates. Look, at the end of the day, this doesn't change anything about the gospel message, about anything related to uh, salvation. And this story is very accurate in its reflection of the character of Jesus. I think it belongs here. I think it's necessary for it to be inserted but that's why that little uh, footnote is there, and I just wanted to mention it. It's really not um, something to stumble over, okay? But, but here we go. Um, after the end of chapter 7, actually verse 53 says, And then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And verse 2 says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, so now he's back in Jerusalem, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, 
until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human. But he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know But still you know You're not